PodRequest, live from the heart of Brooklyn. PodRequest is a weekly podcast about everything in and relating to technology. With a special guest tonight, Michael Elder. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Poll Request. Don't ask where we've been all these months, but <coughs> COVID or something. Uh, I, we've got a special show tonight for all of you wonderful listeners, which is that we've got somebody that's made something blown my mind. It really has blown my mind because I love kitschy stuff. Um, and as a as a millennial who grew up in the 90s, I have a large affinity to Super Nintendos. I was a Nintendo kid, Sega Genesis. I didn't have a Genesis, but my cool friends did. And our guest tonight, Michael Elder, has made... He's a chiptune artist that's created not just an album on a Sega Genesis, a real Sega Genesis cartridge, but a Windows 95 shell, or what looks like it, to go around the whole album. So let's welcome him in. Hi, Michael. How you doing? Hey, how are you doing? Fantastic. So, um, so you're in uh, Vancouver. That's right, Vancouver, British Columbia. How's that going? I've never been. I've never been to Anglo Canada, actually. Never I've been, been, right? To Montreal. Been, so, yeah, it's been a you know a little bit strange uh, today, actually. So actually, today on my way to work, I got so soaked in the rain, I had to go home. I was soaked through every layer, and then now it's dry as hell this afternoon. I went out to get some more bubble wrap shipping these games and i was like sweating so it's vancouver's just like that <laughs> ah is it like is it as rainy as let's say seattle or, or portland or is it its own thing oh it's probably more okay i i went to seattle back in april and uh i had a fun time but that's that's the closest i've i've been to vancouver which is oh, still I, I, very much in the u.s I, so i was in seattle in may just missed each other wow yeah we did um, I had to come home and, and immediately do my taxes because I forgot to do them before I left. Uh, but we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about this cool thing that you made. So, um, I, I mean, it's I almost I almost don't know where to start because I've got so many questions. And you look at the show notes, you see all the questions that I have. But oh, yeah. I guess the first question I've got is what's what's the deal? What's the deal with your Hotmail email address? I, is that to go with yeah. the kitsch value of the of the Genesis? I mean, I made that when I was I want to say twelve. Michael the Elder at Hotmail.com, around okay. way back there. So that was the thing back in the day. I think that was the standard kind of Microsoft one you've got. And so that's oh, absolutely. been a absolutely. continuing franchise since then. And kind of like my YouTube channel there as well. So, of course, well, my, my, my artist name on the game is Michael, uh, sorry, Mikey Eldy. That's been a continuous franchise there since, what, 2007? I made that wow. YouTube channel when I was like 14. So I carry along my Hotmail and I carry along my YouTube channels for literally half my life. So... Okay, so yeah, you're, <laughs> you're so you're you're twenty eight. Yeah, close. Yeah, twenty nine. Twenty nine. So looking at the big three zero coming up this November. Oh man, well look, I'm I I, I turned thirty five in May, and uh, oof. Uh, Sorry to hear that. It gets it gets real fun. Let me tell you, once you once you cross over into into over thirty, um, they say that your thirties are just like your twenties until the injury happens, and that actually happened to me. Uh, but that's, again, yeah. another story. So you've still got your old Hotmail email from 2007, which was a little bit late, you know, for Hotmail, but that's yeah. still 15 years of its ago time. at this <laughs> point. Um, all right. And, and what interests you? So you made, this, you made this album. What's the album called? Is it called Mikey LD95? Yeah, the album is called Mikey LD95. Same name as the game, I guess. So it's, is it a game? Is it an album? I don't know. You just got to open that's it up true. and find out. <laughs> it could be a game album. I I don't an album doesn't necessarily mean music you know there's photo albums and stuff um so, yeah yeah so um, it, and it's my it's my second one so I released a game just about exactly a year ago also or game album it's called Mikey Eldy the album also uh -huh. so this is the, this is my second one okay and did that one have another shell around it or was it just the just the tunes uh, that one was mainly just the tunes and then a couple little Easter eggs in there too okay so that one, yeah that one was kind of my learning process stumbling through that one and i see mikey aldi 95 is the real one that's what i was going for ah gotcha yeah i really i really want to dig into the to the process of how you did this um but first why the genesis is it did you have a genesis as a kid yeah so just dad came home with one one day from the thrift shop i want to say 2000 2001 so um you know okay. keeping okay. up with the latest consoles right i, I think you know, as a kid, I, I realize this now into adulthood, we were always kind of a generation behind in our household with the games. So I think as like a six or seven year old in the late 90s, we were playing NES 
and then that disappeared after a while after we were playing it too much who knows where that happened there right so and then a few years later the genesis showed up from the thrift store too and then eventually i got an xbox i think sometime in the mid to late 2000s the knots so <laughs> cool um so then how did so all right so you have this the same kind of nostalgia for the sega i grew up as an Nintendo oh, yeah. kid uh, oh, okay so as I, as I mentioned at the top, yeah, I've got a, I actually, my Super Nintendo that I got in, in 1992 when I was five, um, I still have it somewhere. I think it's locked up in storage or something, but it still works. Okay. I, really, there's no reason to play it anymore in the modern world of, you know, SNES classics or emulators or other ah, things. But You know what? I'm actually, I'm working through Super Mario World for the first time ever playing it because I got now? one of those, wow. you know, I, I got one of those handhelds off AliExpress, you know, and it's like 50,000 like, games and it's, you know, it comes with this SD card and it's got the whole ROM set. You don't even question it, but they all work. Is so, it the analog pocket or is it something close? Else? Yeah, it's uh, Anbernic is the brand. Okay. Yeah, they make some pretty wicked handhelds there too. So I've got the SNES ROM set on there and so I'm doing super mario world for the first time on that but you know i've actually got it also on switch but i can do game genie codes on this one because some of these oh. have that nintendo hard tm yeah i mean plus a baby um, in those right and, and and also plus the switch with its virtual console it has that stupid mat behind the game oh around God, the yeah, game that right. you can't get rid of and that burns into people's televisions i don't know why they can't turn that off but that's another story so <laughs> What do you all right, so what do you think about I'm sorry, this is another tangent, but I have to ask. Super Mario World is 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 one of my favorite games of all time and really helped it really <laughs> kind of formed my view of video games because it came with it was a packing game with my Super Nintendo when I was five. Oh, so yeah. what is it like playing it for the first time now? Uh I, I you know Nintendo I'm still trying to get used to the SNES kind of aesthetic because with, with Genesis I, I see that really dithered, detailed kind of artwork, and Nintendo is more cartoony and flat colors. colors. Sure. So I'm still getting my head around the appeal, kind of the graphics. And I, I find the music a little simpler in that one. I was a little underwhelmed with the music in Super Mario World, to be honest, compared to Sonic, but really? I'm still still starting off on that one. Hot, that's are, my hot take. Them's fighting words. All right, Edgelord. Uh, that's, <laughs> by the um, way, but Nintendo, I, I got to hand you, you guys got Donkey Kong Country. Yeah. Soundtrack that's... to that from that's a bop. So I, I gotta work through those actually there too. So that's next on the list. Okay. Donkey Kong Country is that's a game I, I always wanted when I was a kid and I, I think I rented it from Blockbuster once. Yeah, yeah we I... rented it too. I think you know, I think we rented like maybe the second one or something. Cause I was I was trying to think, like I have these memories of playing it and I remember, you know, the the characters and the pirates and whatnot, and I'm like, okay, what which one was that? So I think it was two. Ah. I mean, yeah. the really cool thing about that was it had, it was fake 3D, it had pre-rendered graphics, and they, yeah. uh, Rare, the developer, they came up with a way of, like, taking the pre-rendered graphics and translating it into tiles. So, uh -huh. okay. that's how they have this faux 3D look on, uh, on, a, on a console that doesn't really do 3D. But, again, uh, it's, you know, it's interesting that you said that Super Nintendo, the, the sound and the graphics sound a little simpler than the Sega, um... There's always, I, I watch a lot of, and one of the, and this is how I found you, I watch a lot of YouTube about, retro, actually, I, I watch a yeah. lot of YouTube about retro gaming and, and hacks and glitches and stuff on old consoles. I found your video uh, on Michael MJD's channel, which is a guy that doesn't really do gaming, he does a lot of Windows stuff. And yeah. uh, it's, it's really interesting, because like of all of the retro gaming stuff that I watch, this, the, the coolest thing I've seen didn't come from any of those channels. <laughs> um, but uh, what is it? So... The the Super Nintendo maybe it was the compositions that really drove it because that's it, it, in mm. my mind the the sound was always better or they, people said the sound was always better than the Genesis. Yeah, it's pretty cool though because it uses samples. I think my, I don't know the SNES super well, but I think it uses samples instead of the FM synthesis of the Genesis. But I could be wrong on that. I think it uses both. I'm pretty sure it yeah. has a, a, a very low sample, a low bitrate sample channel, but then everything else because. Mm -hmm. One of the things about creating, and, and this is part of the retro YouTube catalog that I've watched, one of, the, one of the challenges they had in creating the music for Super Mario World rather than something like Super Mario Brothers is that they had to design all of the synth, pa all the synth patches themselves because they had the um, oh, yeah. ADSR curves. They, they had to basically yeah. program in. And on Nintendo, they just had basically a bank of, of, of sounds and, and samples that they could use. Okay, so, I hear, yeah. Um, but I know, like, I know that about the, the <laughs> SNES. I don't really know anything about the Genesis. 
it is interesting. It's always interesting to me how different the colors are between the two consoles when you see the same yeah. game made for both. I don't know why. Uh, I, I'd love to know mm. how they made those decisions, but that's not right. even what we're talking about here. What we're talking about is how, uh, is your album. So how did you get into how did you get into chip tune? Yeah, into chip tune. So you know, like yourself there as well. I've been a big fan of the um, 16-bit generation of games. I think that's kind of the sweet spot between like i find 8-bit a little simplistic and then i find like i never had an n64 or ps1 so that generation never appeals to me but sure. the 16-bit is kind of the sweet spot i see where it's um pushing really creatively against the constraint that's been handed to them so with the sega i see uh yeah you, you know you have your six fm channels and a few psd channels but the compositions for it really pushed the edge i think on on there too so i think um that's I, I I see PS1 and N64 as this giant leap, so um, right. SNES and Sega Genesis are kind of chomping at the bit of what's really possible. Sure, and and the limitations. Yeah. I mean, you know, I've I've grown up making websites, and the limitations and the medium really help both push you to do better, but yeah. also create unique circumstances. And the the art that you create ends up being completely totally. different than if you didn't have those limitations. Yeah, like what I'm trying to say is like the NES, I think like NES or Master System before the Sega Genesis were a little too sure. limited. And then I think N64 and PS1 were like a little too blown wide open. But I think like Sega Genesis and NES is like, or SNES is the sweet spot where it's just constrained enough to be super interesting. Super interesting for Super Nintendo. Um, oh. <laughs> ooh. Uh, did they call it the Mega Drive in Canada or is that, that just a European thing? Uh, the Genesis. They call it the Genesis, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. That's a that's a dumb question, but I had to. I had Genesis to with a Z. No. It's technically a, a with you your know, bag a, of milk. There you. Yeah. Exactly. It's technically another country up there. So, um, uh, how, so how did you? Uh, so, well, I, I asked how you got into chip tune, and it's basically that you mm -hmm. you like these consoles, and you were inspired by the sounds that they make and the limitations that they have in the medium. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. And uh, and when did you start? You said you so said this is your second album. You had your first album about a year ago. Uh, are you? Are this is just your first entree into chip tune, or have you done other stuff before? Do you consider yourself a chip tune artist? Oh, I, I guess now, right? Uh, I am quite new to the medium, so I I've been making MIDI like stuff just in MIDI. This kind of really sure. progressive kind of MIDI music that takes takes the piss out of techno and stuff. But um, uh, about I want to say February last year, so only just during the pandemic when I was. You know, slacking off during my day job, working at home, doing more interesting stuff like chip sure. I thought it was. I, I downloaded a program, and I, and I guess maybe we'll get more into it called Deflamask. And I had tried transcribing some of my own music into Deflamask, and that Deflamask software exports a ROM. And I have ah. the. I have a, I have a flash drive for my Sega Genesis that's made by Cricks. They're an awesome company. They make, for, actually, for SNES or Sega Genesis, they make SD card um cartridges so you is can it like an everdrive out... yeah or... yeah the everdrive exactly right ah, okay, so yeah. deflamask spits out these rom files and you can just throw it onto the everdrive and you hear it instantly playing on the actual hardware right so oh, i made okay I, that answers yeah, like I... five of my questions that's great <laughs> oh, right so yeah i started off kind of making um a 10 second loop with like a picture of a balloon or something on the screen and i was like oh my god I c my this little ditty that i made is playing back on the genesis this was just February last year, by the way. So I made like a 10 second little beat and it's playing on the hardware. I'm like, wow, I made that. That was just a big moment for me. That got a lot of gears spinning. Sure. And then from there, I actually tried transcribing a song. Then I transcribed a couple songs and snowballed from there. <laughs> so do you, what is the, does your iteration process involve original hardware or do you like once you, you just kind of like smoke test it on original hardware and then you use an emulator for the rest? Yeah, I've, done, I've mixed it up a bunch of ways. And I think I've seen in some of your later questions there too. So I did have some files and tribulations going through that process. But I, I've tried several different emulators on PC and I find them behaving in different ways. And then I, I actually bought a European Mega Drive console off eBay to test that one too. So ah, oh yeah, cheap, for but, you know, worth gonna, the investment. It's going to make your music sound slightly out of batteries. That is right, yeah. So it is different on the European hardware. Yeah. Um... Yeah. Cool. Uh, all right. Um, let's see. So, uh, could you tell us some of your favorite chip tune artists or people that have inspired mm -hmm. you? Uh, I w when listening to your current album, um, which you can listen to on on Bandcamp, it kind of sounds like Anna Music. I don't know if you. <laughs> oh you yeah, Anna Music. Anna music. Yeah, those are good. 
You yeah. need to kick back on those, right? Exactly. <laughs> um, or I don't know if you've heard of Caravan Palace. They're, they're yeah. a French electro-swing band. Uh, but oh, yeah. Yeah. You have? Yeah, I've heard of them. Yeah. Oh, sweet. They haven't, made, yeah. they haven't released anything in a long time, but... Uh, but yeah, that's that's kind of what I was thinking of when listening to it. Um, but who yeah, are you, who are your inspirations or your your the uh, any anybody influence? Yeah, yeah, anime music's a great one to mention actually there too because when when making this stuff like I'm not actually a big electronic techno kind of guy like I kind of picture like a band playing this stuff like what do you sure. what do you want to see when you're standing in the crowd and seeing something and so anime music you see these robots on stage playing this kind of stuff so I, I picture I picture that kind of thing sort of vividly so it's a, a great point that you brought up there. But in terms of chiptune artists, um, if, if it counts, there is number one has got to be T. Lopez, who does the soundtrack for Sonic Mania, and actually recently now the uh -huh. TMNT Shredder's Revenge. Have you played either, either of those? Uh, Shredder's Revenge isn't that yeah. from the mid '90s? No, it's a new one. Shredder, he's back. He's gotten his revenge. It's a new game. It's it's a throwback what? to the pixel art of the '90s there too. And what's it on? Is it on a? It's on all this stuff. <laughs> no, I mean, like, what, like, is it, like, can I download a ROM for my SNES Classic, or is it... No, it's, it's like, a new, like, I, I don't want to say AAA game, but it's on the new consoles. Oh, okay. Wow. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so music That's for great. that one rules. So, because, well, T. Lopez would do, um, he would do covers of the classic Sonic songs on, like, real instruments and, like, modern production. Sure. And his stuff was, like, he was just doing this on his own. And his, these covers were so wicked... There, he threw in all these extra awesome ideas, and they just hired him for one of the official uh, mainline Sonic games, Sonic Mania. Nice. And so oh, he was okay. already good before, and then with Sonic Mania, he, they took him on for that, and he delivered. It was freaking amazing. So, um, yeah, Sonic Mania soundtrack for that one is awesome. So that's that's got to be number one. But uh, also up there, and if you're really into chiptune, you've probably heard of him, is Tim Fallen. You know, I'm not really into chiptune. Ironically, oh, okay. I have an 8-bit pedal for my guitar. Yeah. And oh, cool. it's, yeah. it's called the 8-bit duck. It's yeah. uh it's not just digital sampling, sampling, but uh it's like I I really given how my affinity for 8-bit music or something or 16-bit music in this case. Yeah. I should be really into chiptune. But Yeah. Well, I, okay. I just, well, you know, on that, you should check out Tim Fallen cuz he's uh, you know, he's a big rock guy. He's big into I, my understanding. I think he's big into prog rock, like the really elaborate like you think like Okay. Um, like I mean, Rush that's, or something, or Emerson, Emerson stuff, Lake and Palmer. Right? Okay. So he he took that really brainy prog mindset to the NES. <laughs> so um, wow, really cool one to check out is the soundtrack to Silver Surfer. So and and, and again, we're talking NES, so eight bit generation. Sure. But that soundtrack for the Silver Surfer game sounds practically sixteen bit with what he's pushing it on there. So ooh, okay, yeah, yeah, he's really hardcore at pushing the um. P pushing the limits of what you can really do on your limited channels and it's so melodic and um complex there as well so it, huh. yeah it's stuff rules super yeah, interesting to, are, are they on spotify i don't know if they're on spotify but definitely on youtube okay yeah i'll have to check i'll have to check them out um all right how long did it take you to make this from when you said i want to make another album to now <laughs> you're you're shipping out these cards yeah so uh mikey ld95 was pretty much like exactly a year i want to say yeah may last year well like, yeah a little over a year because I made that first Mikey LTD album in one swift go, pretty much from February, March to May last year. And then immediately it was, I was just so pumped up on that one that I started on Mikey LD95. And I'm even kind of getting some groundwork down on a third one here, too. Is that going to be Mikey LD98? <laughs> right? Oh, I wish. No, not not this time. Okay. No, so that your next <laughs> album is just going to be not a straight, straight release? Yes. Well, how did you uh, get another the... game? Yeah. Oh, yeah. sure. Well, yeah. Uh, I mean, if it runs on a console, it's a game, I guess. <laughs> it's kind of the same question of like, what is television these days? Nobody has a regular television anymore. You know, if you're right. watching a well, series on your phone on the toilet, is that television or is that <laughs> something else? And then Netflix had they're they're doing these interactive things like that Black Mirror Bandersnatch. So like, oh, is it a game? Is it like a right, audio right. thing, film? Right? Yeah. Um. Okay, uh, so what gave you the idea to make this album inside of a Windows 95 shell? Um, thinking back to that, I think right around the sweet spot, the time I was making it was, I was right at the same time I was just playing around with uh, Windows 95 in a virtual machine, just sure. for that nostalgia vibe. And I think also at the time I had dug up a CD of DOS games I had as a kid. Like, remember uh, all those freeware DOS games you would have? Absolutely, kind yeah. of, Like Commander Especially Keen, the ones like all the same. Like... Oh, sorry, yeah. go on. Like Commander Keen and all those other DOS ones that were just freeware. And I think, sure, you know, a lot of computer people all kind of play the same ones. 
so right right around the time I was nostalgic on Sega, and then also had this nostalgia trip on Windows 95 and DOS and this and that. And then the idea, I I thought it would be funny to just make. I, I think it, I didn't even know if it had a start menu at first, but I thought it would be uh, neat to just make an album that's computer themed and kind of Windowsy just a little bit. But sure. then I I changed gears and made and full in to make it look like a replica of Windows 95. At first, uh, really, my early I, ideas were just to be like slightly Windows themed, and okay. I, I, you know, I found myself pretty interested with it as well. Because with Windows ninety five, like I, you know, actually on my desktop on my computer, my laptop, you know, I'm, I'm telling you from right now, I actually have my desktop as that that teal, that really nice kind of color. Oh yeah, 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 that one, right? So, and, and something about that Windows ninety five design language is kind of timeless in a way. Like I've seen, you, you see, like mini games or some Gen Z people with their profile pictures and or a TikTok kind of using that Windows 95 aesthetic, maybe ironically, but it's kind of timeless in a way. Yeah. I mean, I have a lot of affinity for Windows 95. Uh, my first computer was a Mac. I grew up with Apple stuff in school, but in 96, yep. we got our first PC that came with Windows 95 and it was a Packard Bell. Uh, oh, yeah. And it came with a whole library of multimedia PC for the late 90s. It oh had, yeah, 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 yeah. Weezer, Buddy Holly, yeah, that um, ha- yes. capture the flag game or something. Rob Roy, the trailer. Um, no. there was also uh, what is it? It had the it had the the Microsoft uh, games pack. So there was like Ski Free and, and yeah. uh, uh, the Chip rat Challenge. game with the cheese. Yeah. Um, and yeah, um, but also Packard Bell Navigator, which was like, oh, if you okay. want to play a CD, go into the living room and turn on the CD <laughs> player. And oh, that's uh. Not- yeah, it was it was really skeuomorphic to to a, a ridiculous level. But the the UI work on ninety five, and it's one of the things that I'm very I'm very fascinated by is how they evolved from Windows three point one to Windows ninety five. Like the process that they went through from taking just changing the the, the whole architecture of the UI and and really uh, yeah. and, and coming up with with the start menu. Microsoft has never really been good with design, but they did <laughs> come up with something unique with windows 95 and, and then they got rid of it in windows 8 and people oh, hated it don't get me started <laughs> like, that's yeah. another yeah but windows every, it's like every other version of windows is good oh yeah, yeah so windows, windows 8 11 was bad sucks. windows 10 is all right windows 11 i haven't really used but i don't know um yeah. <laughs> so and also one other thing I'm, I'm working on redoing my website right now and i'm actually doing something very similar to what you did but on the web which oh, yeah. is i made a um a whole Mac OS nine classic finder with the drop down menus and yeah. ask, and then and the Apple logo and they all work and you can and each web page is a window that you can drag around and you can drag the desktop icons around, all that stuff. And I've been working on that for months and it's it's <laughs> I wanted to do a Windows ninety five theme. Um so before I get into that Tell me how, to, could you explain your, your setup? Like, what have you, are you using MIDI keyboards? You're using, like, a Game Boy? You said you're using that tracker, uh, uh, uh Def, Mask. Def Mask. Yeah. yeah. So uh, what else? So, like, what's in your, your whole setup? Yeah. Uh, I'm starting off in Ableton. So Ableton Live, this super popular DAW, digital, sure. digital audio workstation. I, I'm generally writing the stuff on piano in there. I find um, all, all the parts really stick out in piano. Like if it sounds bad on the piano MIDI, it's going to sound bad on anything. I find course, from experience. Yeah, that makes sense. I don't play piano very well. I'm, I'm terrible at it. Learned it as a kid. It sucked. But I find just starting really bare bones in Ableton with um, a simple drum kit and a piano. So you have your left hand and right hand going on the piano and the drum set, and that's about it. And that because when you're writing on chip tune. You don't use as much. You don't use as many chords since you have such sure. a, a small budget of voices available there as well. So you have to be kind of economical and writing strong melodies and strong bass or rhythm parts that accentuate them really well. Like say so if you write, you, you uh, just, oh yeah. sorry, no, please go on. Yeah, well, like if you, if you write a chord that's um, C E G, like a major chord, or if it's a major seventh chord like C E G B, that would be that takes up like four four of your voices right there, and that's. And then from there, you you don't have much to work with apart from that. Sure. And there's also yeah. that that weird dissonance that you can get with with some yeah. of the eight bit music. Uh, I found out recently why that is, at least on Nintendo. And it's What's a that? Lim- yeah. it's a limitation of. I'll send you this YouTube video. It's fantastic. It's a limitation of the Rico Rico sound chip that when it had to change frequencies, it did oh, it yeah. in steps. Cool. Because that's the only way they could do it. So it would like go. It would when it would change frequencies, it would go up by like 150 hertz rather than a smooth line, and yeah. that gives it more of a crunchy and a more dissonant sound. Uh, 
the mm-hmm. I don't know how they did this on YouTube. Those geniuses, I guess, I'm pretty. <laughs> I guess they just emulated the chip, uh, and yeah. and then they they quote unquote fixed it and they played the same samples back and forth. They're like, here's the here's the sound, here's <laughs> the you know to like I don't know, let's say turtles, and then here's what it sounds like if we quote unquote fixed the chip. Um, yeah. And so, but anyway. Um, Wait, but- yeah, that's cool that you bring that up, actually, because in, in Deflamask, and actually in this chip tune, you can adjust the fine-tuning, like, really, really precisely in the notes. And um, ah. you, if they're tuned, so in a mathematical kind of sense, if notes are tuned, exp- like, on a really specific uh, fraction of hertz, so if, like, something is right. exactly double or, like, exactly, like, five-sevenths, something else, something like that, just spitballing, it'll create another new note. So if there's two notes that are exactly some geometric distance, it'll create a third note that's an overtone that's pretty interesting so some people have done experimenting stuff like that so you get actually more voices to the listener than actually what's available right yeah i did that a little bit in one of the songs in my key 95 i think it's the one with the toasters so some of those instruments use parallel fifths and then they stack on top of each other and it's actually a couple more notes than would normally be available Okay, that's that's cool. That's like the yeah. audio equivalent of the uh, of the scan line adjustment that they have when you're when you're rendering the yeah. videos, and you could like that's how they do parallax scrolling or, or stuff. Anyway, yeah. um, all right. So you've got you write it all, you write it on a piano like a piano piano or like a MIDI keyboard. I guess a MIDI uh, keyboard. You're talking. Well, MIDI, I, I, right? I'm clicking stuff in. I, I, I'm 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 bad at piano. Um, you know, can't play. Well, I mean, it you're good enough to anything, make an but... album that doesn't sound like you're bad. at piano yeah no I, i'm clicking through each note so on you know on one by one and it, it, generally it's pretty stream of thought so i i really like i'll listen to the same two or four measures over and over and over and then what's my instinct you have to kind of go with your instinct on what comes next so i listen to the same sure. loop over and over and over and then i turn the loop off and then it's what note comes first to me after and then you have to you have to trust your instinct going on those two so that first note maybe it's not a good one but then you get a few after it to recontextualize it and then it starts to come together so all right it it, it takes some level of um you know attitude and self-confidence to trust your instinct and, and go with that first stream of thought because it can lead to something good so I, i've had a lot of songs that start out bad and they end up great so that's fan i mean that's fantastic yeah. so you don't really chart this stuff out you just uh, I, of- I i do chart it out but it, it, the, the process is pretty stream of thought and especially my, my previous one mikey aldi the album i don't know if you had a chance to listen to it but that one is is I was kind of getting more progressive on some stuff there as well. Like, I'd have these short loops in the songs that are, like, 10 seconds long where I've spent, like, three hours on packing as many notes as possible. So Sure. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, how hard would it be... Or actually, let me let me take a step back. Yeah. How different is your process? I guess it's entirely different from, like, how you would make... If you were to make a Sega Genesis game, you were going to make... Excuse me. Mm. You're going to make background music for it. Uh... How different is your process? I guess you because you have a completely modern 21st century process. You're not like <laughs> yeah. I don't know exactly how they got the samples onto the games back in the 90s, but uh, I I think Deflamask is pretty similar. I, I don't know as much about how they made it in the day, but in that software. So after I, I compose the stuff in Ableton, I, and how I long did it take just to it. compose it? You know, it really varies. I've had songs that, like, just strike me in the moment, and I blast it out, and then other ones where I'm kind of banging my head, like, what to do next. Like, the song in the maze, that took me, like, all freaking day. Like, because I had, I started off with a couple pretty good riffs, and then it didn't really go anywhere. And I was bashing my head, trying to figure out, like, what to do next, what to do next, and then eventually I got it. So that took, like, a good, like, ten hours getting that one out. But other songs have come to me in, like, under three. I mean, that's that's really, that's really good. <laughs> Yeah. That's really good. How do you find the, the, the patches to use or the samples to use? Uh, I, I've generally used some default ones in Deflamask and some other ones I've picked up around the internet, but I modified them in case like the notes fade out too short or too long, or okay. um, there's a, a bit of it like that I want to stick out more than others. But I, I, yeah, I think this Deflamask software is sort of similar to what they would have done in the 90s creating the games, because actually in Deflamask, what it looks like... Like, so, like what my songs look like in Deflamask is a bunch of letters and numbers on screen. So it's right. not like, like Which is Logic like or Ableton, where right. you see all the sound waves. It's a bunch of numbers and text on screen. Right. Like a, like a, yeah. Like a looper. Um, yeah. Yeah, it kind of looks like an Excel spreadsheet almost. And when you play the songs in it, it starts reading the numbers down the list. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's, um, that's, that's, it, looks, it lo- really looks like a modern version of, of those old school loopers from like the, the late 80s and, and early 90s on Amigas and stuff. Yeah, um, 
I guess they made them for DOS too. But yeah. Uh, so does it have? Do you do when you go to when you go to print it, bounce it, export it, whatever you like mm-hmm. to call it? Do you choose a target hardware? Do you choose target hardware when you start, and then it tells you how many voices you have? Or uh, it's at the start. Yeah. Oh, okay. So how hard would it be to make the same, or at least the music part of it, the same music uh, for the SNES? That's interesting. Yeah, I have you know I've never tried the SNES setting if there even is one for that. But I imagine with the more sample based stuff, the NES SNES, I'd have to rewire how a lot of stuff works because with the FM synthesis on the Genesis as well, there's some coded effects, so stuff like sliding between notes and vibrato. So some right. of those effects, I don't know if they would trans- translate to the SNES the same way. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. That would be that would be re- really interesting. Also, if somehow Deflamask had a way to convert between them, so you could just say like, you know, export as SNES ROM, yeah, and then it just kind of does the hard work for you, um, or throws an error. But uh, and and on that actually too. So I did um, some of the songs. So in, in my KLD ninety five, if you're dipping into ME DOS, there's some songs that I've made for the Master System. So for context. The Master System is the console that came before the Sega Genesis. Right. Have, you, have you heard of that one? I have. Um, yeah. I never not, knew not anybody have. It. it was more of a Japan thing, I think. Maybe more of a Europe thing. And I think maybe also Brazil. It was I think popular. it's more of a Gen X thing, <laughs> to yeah. be honest. Gen it's X, little, right? It's a, little, it's a little before my time. But, um, yeah. but I, mean, it's, I mean, it came out at the same time as a regular Nintendo. And I had a regular yeah. NES uh, but that was also not really for me either. And that's another story. It, so, I think NES was the cool one and Master System was not. But what, what I was going for with that was because in, well, like in Windows 95, there was also this MS-DOS that you could dip into. Like, you remember some of those yeah, DOS MS-DOS games? Prompt. You'd have to Absolutely. go into DOS, and then you'd have to open it in DOS. Right. So my thinking with making some songs for the Master System is that there'd be these backwards compatible songs within my KLD 95. Now, are they actually, yeah. are they two different ROMs, or is it somehow... Using it, it, the same ROM the, and just the different different voices or whatever. It's, uh, I don't know. Yeah, uh, all on the same ROM, but they're so the Sega Genesis had a. It still has the sound chip from the Sega Master System in it. So when oh, you're playing Master System, because you okay. you can you can with an adapter you can play Master System games on the Sega Genesis, and then it uses that uh, old chip to play the songs. And actually, a lot of the Sega Genesis songs do the same thing. So they actually use that chip from the Master System to accentuate the Sega Genesis songs. Ah. Like uh, Sonic Hill, or sorry, Sonic Green Hill Zone One, the boop 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 in right, the background, right. like that's on the Master System chip. Interesting. So it actually has two sound chips: one for backwards compatibility, and one yeah. for. And so the Master System one is mainly like square waves, and there's a noise channel, like sure. kind of sounds like beatboxing. So um, I, I find like I like to use that one as a hi hat. Yeah, absolutely, and that's what they did yeah. on the NES. Um, yeah. Actually, you know what? Uh, no, no, keep, keep, keep going. I'm gonna see if I can, if I can find something uh, that'll, that'll. Yeah. Right. So, um, I, I, I use that. I, I find that that those square wave channels are pretty good for staccato notes. So doing like an arpeggio over things. Like uh, the song for the 3D maze. Coming back to that one, there's constant like boop, 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 in the background, and so those are done on the master system channel, that 8-bit channel. So the those staccato notes are like really sweet and really percussive. So. It's really nice for having those kind of lower in volume to kind of accentuate the main kind of beefier Sega Genesis channels on the mix. Ah, that's smart. See, that's the type of stuff that you can only do when you have really limited resources because you have to figure out, okay, I have a noise channel and it's going to always be a noise channel. So what do I, what do, I do with it? Exactly, oh, I could use right. it as a hi-hat. I could use it. So check, check this out. Uh, oh, actually, hold on. Before I play, hmm. make sure it starts from the beginning, which it doesn't. Okay, hmm. cool. Uh, <laughs> Sweet. Live, live, uh, live radio. All right, hold on. Let me see if I can, if this works. So this is the Ryko 2AO3, which is the NES sound chip. It has five channels that can each play one sound at a time. And you can hear the... Yeah. That's the hi-hat channel. Yeah. Anyway, it's a really cool video. I'll send you this link. Um... But uh, I'll, I'll send you that Silver Surfer one too from that Tim Fallon I mentioned earlier because yeah he he does like prog rock on the NES it's like Dream Theater incredible. kind of stuff right so it's, so, yeah, so this it, leads it, me it, to my next question which is how the hell did you fit all of this into four megs uh, is it four it, megs you know, is it eight it's four yeah they're they're surprisingly resilient because even some of the, like the 
I guess, triple A in the day games, like Fantasy Star 4 on the Sega Genesis. Like, those are still 4 megabyte ROMs, so it, it's more resilient than you would think. And I, I guess what the way it works there is the way it compresses some of the images to tile data. I noticed when I was con con converting bitmap files to be indexed palette color, the file size drops from, like, hundreds of kilobytes to tens. So things oh, like that. So I think that yeah, makes sense. So it's, it's very efficient with its data. In those so ways. that's but, so. Let's yeah. let's get into that because it's not just the album that you made. It's this Windows ninety five shell that has a ton yeah. of bespoke graphics in it. And how did you how did you design them? Did you use or, uh, like a pixel editor and then tile it? Uh, did you draw it out on graph paper first <laughs> and then you know scan it into the computer and then tile it? Did is it like a Photoshop plugin where you can export something? You said you said export yeah. to index color, so that's that's one of the steps. That's right. Yeah. So I, I did all I did it all all of the image manipulation in GIMP. I've heard wow. of GIMP. It's kind of like the poor person's Photoshop. It's right. Like the that free that open might source actually one. be harder than making the whole <laughs> making the album, doing all that stuff in GIMP. Holy crap! Yeah, GIMP. Right. I know. Right. So it, you know, it takes some persistence to get there, Just but to say the least. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, once you get the hang of it, it's pretty cool because you. So in GIMP, you can you can specify a palette. So if I want to have something have these, um, you know, specific shades of red and gray or something, right. you can take an image and then paste it into GIMP, and then it'll instantly convert it to that palette that you have active. Ah, so is there? A, did you have to? Did you have to make uh, a plugin or an entry or like a palette in GIMP for the the seg the Genesis or for, did you? Yeah, I, I did a lot of stuff with palettes for making the different color schemes. So I designed every window, so like the windows for each application in the game, so stuff right. like the music app or the 3D maze, and then I would take that color palette and make the eight different variations of it, each mm -hmm. has its own different line of code. Yeah. Okay, and then and, that uh, leads to my next question, which is, did you, it really looks like you were able to extract a lot of <laughs> Microsoft or Win95 assets, <laughs> especially the icons. The colors, you could use the eyedropper and you could say, okay, I want it to be yeah, this color. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, that's what I but, did. Yeah, but right. the, the icons and, like, did you have to remake those or, like, the window controls, those look, I want to say those look spot on. Um, the, how much the, of it were you able to kind of poach from Windows? And then, of course, how did you do it versus yeah. the stuff you had to make yourself to fill in the gaps? And remember, I'm asking this question as I'm doing almost exactly the same thing, but on web. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. There, so uh, running Windows 95 in a in a virtual machine made that a lot easier. So I was using the snipping tool, copying it into GIMP and getting it onto the right color palette that the Genesis can understand. Oh, the, so you just take a screenshot with like the defrag icon, for example. You remove yeah. the background and then you convert Stuff like that, that to yeah. index color. Yeah. Okay. How did you make yeah. your BIOS logo? That's like it looks like a 3D model of your of your head. Yeah, well, it is a 3D model in my head, right? So it, it, the the Mikey LD that you see like present throughout the game on the start screen and some things there as well. Sure. That, yeah, that's a 3D scan of my head. So again, in GIMP, I think How I did had you do it that? set to... You, is that a thing that you can do now? Yeah. So so I think what I did for that, so I would take my 3D scan, I would put it into GIMP, I'd squish it down to about like, I want to say 48 by 48 pixels, and it still looks kind of okay. And then okay. you can do a setting to turn it into 16 colors. And then I changed from 16 colors of black and white into 16 colors of, like, yellow kind of shades. Sure. So how did you do the 3D scan? Is that, like, a thing you could just buy, like a 3D printer? You could just buy them? You can just buy a 3D that, scanner these days? You know, that that is from my line of work. So I'm actually at a... I, I, well, as You don't have tomorrow, to mention... Don't mention tomorrow's my last day, for. but, but. I, I, I work at a company that does 3D... That, like sells 3d scanners so that was actually one oh. taken on the fly a co-worker a new scanner we we're testing out he just kind of i think i was just sitting at my desk at work and he's like hey i want to like test the scanner out you want to like sit still for a sec and then that scan of my head that my co-worker hastily took went all the way around and so it's actually my last day at this place tomorrow so i might while i still have this last bit of time maybe i'll get an updated mikey yeah. ld scan S scan as many things as you can um and on that, the hacky stack game, you see that pink foot on there? That is my foot. Not that anyone's asking, ah. but it's a 3D scan of my foot there, too. Wow. That's, I, that's really, that's really, I mean, like, I, I know that it's, it's more, mo it's, a, it's a lot more modern, but this is, this is exactly the type of stuff that I love where you're taking the best of the modern world and you're, and you're combining it with something nostalgic and also something that's very limited in resources. Yeah. Um, 
Oh, no, please, please go. And I guess kind of like the Donkey Kong one you were mentioning earlier, like that faux 3D. Like, if you take right. 2D pictures of a 3D object, like, you can make stuff that looks 3D, but it's just kind of a, an illusion. So one of my sources of inspiration there, too, is the guy on YouTube, Matthias Buss or something. I don't know if I can pronounce his last name right. He, had, he, he demonstrated a way on the Sega Genesis to take 2D projections of 3D models and then render them on the Genesis, and then it looks like you're rendering 3D. So that, that also is another big like light bulb moment for me. And I actually thanked him in the first game in the special thanks on the notes because that specific thing that ah. I used really heavily in my games. How, um... Okay. Uh, let me go back to the, let me go back to the notes. Yeah. Uh, Why not nothing there? <laughs> no, no, no. It's, it's a, I'm, oh, okay. So, so we talked about the icons. We talked about the, the colors. What about the fonts? I'm a huge fonts. Uh, typography oh, yeah. geek. Oh, yeah? Cool. All right, so, so are they just all tiles, or did you actually figure out how to render real typefaces in there? They're screenshots. So what, what I would do, so it's I don't know, a bit of a hacky way of doing it. So I would put, I would write like notepad or something on the desktop or whatever. I would type, when, you know, when you right click to rename something, you get that like blank white space, and then you can type in the name of the file. So mm. a lot of the text that you see on there is actually, I'd type something like, music and then i would take a snipping tool of before i've completed renaming it and then do that and so that that could see those pixel perfect letters that have that super windows 98 kind of feel yeah the I, I actually i downloaded a, or not 95 kind of feel I, I downloaded a windows 95 font actually i found on like i don't know dafont.com or something sure. that's but i it, love it, that website it, it, I, I had started with that one, but it wasn't quite there. It was like 75, maybe 90% accurate, but it was still kind of under my skin of it that it wasn't the exact pixel-perfect Windows 95 kind of lettering and font. And I think that's because of the, the aliasing, or anti-aliasing. Exa -ali you're exactly right. So, cause we're, Which is something Microsoft uh, has never got right. Like, yeah. as, a, I'm, as, a, as a Mac user, if I Windows still sucks so, rendering text. I, I have, and so some of my stuff in GIMP on the palettes, it squishes it down to black and white. So some of the stuff with the text, it squishes it down to either black or white. And so if there's anti-aliasing, it try to, tries to make up the difference between some mm. of those. So some of those mid-tones get boom white or boom black. Sure. So uh, it, at least in GIMP, one of the good things it has going for it is that you can turn off anti-aliasing. Okay. But uh, another interesting thing on the topic of fonts, though, there as well. So if you look at sega genesis and probably snes games as well is that the a lot of the letters are kind of chunky actually because right. you're playing on a crt so it's blowing up this tiny little image to take up your whole screen and it also helps and, the aliasing the way that crts work yeah but the, the, in mikey ld95 though some of the letters like if especially if you're in the music app i, I noticed this um some of the letters are really close together like just a couple pixels sure. apart and it's, it's actually kind of blurry on a crt screen but i i, I want it to be uncompromising and looking like Windows 95, so I've left it that way at least. But that's that's good. You got to preserve yeah. the mistakes as well as yes. uh, as, as well as the features. All right. right. So uh, so so it's more it's more screenshotting and then yeah. and then turning into tiles. Yeah. Like, uh, um, but uh, you do have to. So, so one of the limitations you have as well, Sue, is that you can only show. My understanding is you can only show 63 colors on screen at one time on the Sega, mm. but any object on its own can only be 15 colors that's still a lot so like it's, it's like a, a lot, tile could be 15 colors like an 8x8 eight eight or a 4x4 four four yeah. tile yeah yeah it can so okay um all the desktop icons are on the same palette so they're on the same bank of 16 colors so things like that so uh take for example so when you have a desktop background on screen in mikey ld95 so you have your desktop icons you have the wallpaper and then also clippy on screen so each right. of those uses their own palette so I and think Clippy is, uses a lot of colors. Yeah, so Clippy uses a bunch of colors. The icons are all on their own palette bank. The wallpaper is on one. And then I think the taskbar is the fourth one. That's where the four palettes are, too. Mm. So, yeah, you kind of got to brainstorm about how you separate them out onto each of their own palettes and nothing crosses over. Like, I wouldn't be able to show a fifth thing now. Right. Unless it used one of those palettes. Are you are you doing anything like scan line manipulation or anything like that? To those are you know just some mm -hmm. tricks that to hack more colors in or to make things render a certain way. Oh, I don't think yeah, not so much in this one. But I've been playing around with that more recently on yeah a newer game that I'm trying out. So Sega Genesis had this other mode called Shadow and Highlight. Okay. So um yeah, not I don't know if that many games used it, but depending on if things are overlapping, then it could create 
colors that are brighter than normal or darker than normal, but it's a bit finicky because you have to specify like exactly where on the screen it's going to be and make sure nothing else is mm. touching it. So. Can you do can you do color math like the SNES? You could add and subtract colors from each other, and that that helps create a, a, some faux transparency. Is there anything like that on the Genesis? I, yeah, you know, I don't know so much about that one actually. I, I to my knowledge, there's no transparency per se. But if you do stuff that's like um. I guess alternating pixels, so a black pixel, then a right, transparent pixel. Yeah, so some stuff, I think, yeah, maybe a bit of that might work. But okay. I think SNES might have had sprite scaling as well, and so the Genesis doesn't have that either. Right. That is yeah. that is true. Um, okay, how... Um, so... How did you how did you decide on the on the user interactions? Because you you have a controller, a, a Genesis mm-hmm. controller. You've got what six buttons and a D pad. Yeah, and I think you know, kind of. I think it's only some of the cool kids that have the six pat six button ones because oh, okay, I grew up with me. the three three buttons and the a three D-pad. buttons. Yeah, right. So start menu, I think, was you know that made sense on its own context. <laughs> it's the start button. Do it the start, start menu. Okay, good. Yeah, I think that that, that came to me pretty That's early. That that connection there, right? Sure. I, I and I was hoping. I don't. I guess Clippy spells it out for you. So he tells you, you know, if you don't do anything on screen for about te- ten seconds, Clippy will tell you to do it. But I was hoping people would make that connection, and I think people have. I think it should make sense to people. Do you <laughs> have it? Oh, sorry. No, go on. Go on. Well, like if, if you sit on the desktop, Clippy will tell you what to do. So I have left that part in there. It looks like you're listening to a chiptune album. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's, yeah. Uh, um, and then, yeah, A is kind of universal for opening stuff. B is for closing. Is is it the opposite on Nintendo? Because that, that, you know, that always throws me off. My, my Nintendo friends, like, when they go from Switch over to xbox or something and then b and the a are the other way around see i was more xbox and sega so ah. it's always weird when i go on switch right and then b and a are... yeah uh i the the modern nintendo controllers now are modeled after the the uh the snes layout and okay. for like for the switch the yeah. 64 and the gamecube had their own weird layout but yeah. um but the and i think nintendo realized that that was their most that was their best uh controller layout so that's so with the a on the bottom right and the b on the bottom left and then y above the b and then x above the a um okay and i i know there's a difference there is definitely a difference between uh ps4 and the switch when you're playing something like Mm -hmm. mortal Kombat, and a couple of those buttons are reversed but the question that i really have is like how did you was it just kind of random that you said okay i think this should go here did you test it out did you give it to people user testing or whatever uh, yeah, so my, my brother programs professionally, so he's actually, you know, a software developer as a day okay. job, unlike me, so he, fantastic to have ideas off of. not a software developer? I mean, you, you, made this, you made this, that's, I can't I know, do that. Right? I'm, I'm some guy who watches YouTube videos at home and read Discord chats and Dac Overflow. How <laughs> humble are you? I mean, how humble you are, excuse me. Uh, <laughs> I mean, look, real developers use Stack Overflow all the time. Yeah, so. well, it's part of the game, right? Like, I talk to my friends that work in programming or you go on reddit and stuff and they people joke about that being a good coder is you know really just knowing what to search and how to find these answers on things yeah um so you had so you you gave it to your brother to test out and Mm -hmm. he just kind of helped you fine-tune the controls or yeah so i because i my intent too is and you know a lot of sega games too if you're picking them up at a thrift store like they don't have a manual or a lot of sega games were kind of light on some of the directions on some of those things i think so the the idea is that you should be able to just pick it up and play. Or like if you're if you're downloading like um, some of these games on the Switch eShop there as well on SNES, like they don't have manuals so much, I don't think, unless sure. you can view it in game. So in, in this digital space, you should be able to just download a game and instinctively know what to do. So I went with what's pretty safe usually. There's a couple of prompts in game. Like I think in the internet browser in Mikey LD95, it left some directions on screen on what to do. That's the other but thing. For the you, most you part, yeah. a whole fake web browser with fake web pages. <laughs> yeah. How much? How hard was that to? Do? I mean, I'm guessing it's not actually rendering any sort of like real HTML, is it? No. Yeah. No. So it's it, it, you know it's it's images, but there, there you know back in the day there was a, a Sega phone thing like a thing that could go through your telephone or internet oh, or something yeah, the, if yeah, that even yeah. existed. The yeah, there's a Sega TV thing where you could actually download games. So that was pretty ahead of its time. So in some crazy, you know, if I had another couple years of work i could maybe try some integration with that but that would be another level i don't know if any servers would even interact with it but yeah it might have it might be hard-coded to whatever the 
servers yeah. were back then. I know that the the equivalent thing for the SNES, the Satellaview, you can't. Oh, there even was use one. Okay, I didn't had, know that. Is that what it was called on the se- on the Genesis? It was like Sega TV, I think. Oh, okay. I really, yeah. That's I don't, I don't, I don't know. Like I said, I'm I'm a, I'm a Nintendo kid, but um, and and nope. you know, actually, how the Sega had internet. You know, it's the Sega Genesis also had a mouse. There's a Mega Did Mouse it? or okay. Sega Genesis mouse, and so and I don't have one. They're like hundreds of dollars on eBay. Cause I don't think so. I I didn't develop it for the Sega Mouse. I don't think that many people have them, but it would have been really cool. Yeah, I have so, I I yeah. have a mouse for my SNES and really? um, yeah, it's I only I I think the only game to really use it with is Mario Paint. But yeah, that's that's one of my last questions is would you do would you do a next version on the SNES and have and use the mouse to actually I don't know how hard it would be to interface with that, uh, and then also you're like moving the cursor mm. around as a sprite's got to be a nightmare. But yeah, um, yeah, you can. Cool. Yeah. Um, okay. Let's see. Uh, we talked about a lot of this stuff. Uh, so you wrote this in C. When yes. I see a lot of these, a lot of these retro games, especially when it comes to like hacking or um, or just dissecting how a lot of these ROMs and games are put together, they're an assembler. Uh, mm-hmm. Is but you know, obviously, C but, is C is much, much more. I don't want to say yeah. easier, but it's it's much more reasonable of a language to work with and very hardware specific assembler. Yeah. Um, why did you choose C and not something that's entirely more difficult and finicky? Uh, so Sega Genesis is a little special in that way. So um, it, it's actually a fantastic time to be a Sega fan because in the last, I want to say maybe seven or eight years. Pretty much this one guy in France has developed a programming language that converts your C code into the machine code that the Sega can understand. Oh. So, Stéphane Delange, I think. That's, uh, I might have the last name wrong. But Stéphane is very active in the community. He's actually still in the Sega Genesis development Discord. Like, he, he, you know, he's in the chat rooms asking, answering people's questions and whatnot. So, it's called a SGDK is his system. So, Sega Genesis Development Kit. Sure. And so it converts your C code into the assembly code that the Sega can understand. So wow. you can take a, a bitmap file, so a literal like .bmp, or actually even a, a .png image file, and then you can convert that into an image that the Sega can display on screen. So his code would break it into the 8x8 tiles and then spell it out for the Sega in that oh, right wow. order to display on screen. So he would write the, that code that converts, that you know creates the assembly Sure. That the picture, yeah. So. That saves a ton of time. Tons of time, right? So, I, and C is a you know relatively easy language to learn. So, the barriers for creating Sega Genesis games is actually really low. And there's um there's some fantastic tutorials out there on the internet, um, both on like their own websites and also on YouTube. And people are getting people are writing like hello world programs in you know just like a couple dozen lines of code, like well like less than that, like maybe like ten Jeez. lines of code to show hello world on screen. That's fantastic. Yeah, so the barriers there... for right, for creating Sega Genesis games is actually like really low, like it's a lot lower than you would think, and I think lower than any other console that I can think of. Yeah, because I don't know if that exists for the the SNES, and and I no. I don't know. That's a question I should right? know. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> like I said, a lot of the a lot all the all the cool kids that are have the YouTube channels where they make where they where they hack in ROMs or they you know they hack yeah. new levels <laughs> into Mario three or something like that. It's all done in assembly. So wow, um, and like Roller Coaster Tycoon in assembly, that still blows my mind, right? Yeah. And and the the file size is so. This is the other question: is if I guess by converting it to machine code, well, that's what you know. That's what compilers do. Yeah. But does that have the same overhead of writing in a higher level language versus if you write assembly code, it could be very very tightly optimized? I guess so. Yeah, I'm not a big programming guy, despite the games. So how the hell did you do this if you're not a programming? (laughs) (laughs) And you know, it's funny too because you know, in in preparing for this too, I was reading back on some chats with my brother who is a professional i you know looking back february 2021 when i was at the point of just kind of getting a picture to show up on screen sure i think i was messaging my brother on facebook i was like it would be really cool to have like two or three songs and make it so you can like choose between them but i have like no idea how to make something that would choose between two or three songs (laughs) yeah so So, how much how did you manage the integration between backgrounds and sprites i assume like the start menu has to be a yeah sprite or maybe is it just like the the focused element in the start menu that's a sprite and the rest of the start menu is a background 
yeah, it, it, it's kind of more style than substance. So a lot of the stuff in my LD95 is just pre-rendered. Like the 3D maze is actually all just pre-rendered, like full screen images. Okay. Things like that. That makes sense. So I'm like, I'm not doing like in the 3D maze game in my LD95, like I wasn't doing some geometric like line angles open GL and stuff, show this right. box. Yeah. No, there was no open GL or um, shading going on. It was just pre-rendered images. But on the Genesis, you get a couple planes where you can show full screen images. And those can have transparency or the 15 different colors. So you have a couple planes of images, and then throughout you can throw sprites. And those sprites, they, they can be placed in any priority or order in screen. So you can have images behind the sprites or in front. You can have them moving around in different directions. So it's kind of like you're playing around with like a few different full-sized sheets of paper or like that kind of like overhead paper where it's kind of transparent and you can sure. shift it around. Um. Okay, did you have to do anything uh, ridiculous or, or extremely creative to juggle the number of sprites? Because I, I don't know what it is, but I, I know there is a limitation to how many different sprites you could have on screen at a time. I, I didn't do that so much with this one, I think. I didn't... Uh, there are some sprites that are more resource-heavy, like the, the dancing baby. And if you go to sure. the credits there, you see there's a dancing baby, but it's a dancing Mikey. Dancing Mikey Yaldi, I guess. So some of these sprites <laughs> were pretty lengthy in terms of like the animation length, but... Yeah, I don't know. I don't think there's too many things in... I, I wasn't going too nuts with sprites, I don't think, throughout okay. the app. Nothing to think of. Yeah. Um, how how long did it take you to make the minigames? You have, you have like, Flappy Mike in there. <laughs> yeah. How, how long in, in like, how what what gave you the ideas to do those? I guess it, it's kind of a... So my first one, Mikey Yaldi, the album, that was so my first Sega game. With that one, I started off with the album... And then I thought it'd be funny to throw an Easter egg. So I threw in a fidget spinner that you could do on screen. And then for more replay value, I threw in a couple games that were also kind of tied in with the music album. And so I, I, I was just carrying over that same idea with this one. So to give it some more replay value and things to explore and things to do. Because if it's just a music album on its own, like it's, I mean, you can throw it on if when you want to listen to it. But right. apart from that, like, well, what are you really doing? So <laughs> they, that's, that's a, yeah. that's a fantastic point. Um, uh, I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm just still, I'm just still yeah. floored by how good of a of an imitation that you made, and how how the ingenuity in yeah. it, and the, the fact that you were still. How did you burn them onto a ROM? So did you, yeah. do you have a, a ROM burner? Do you have? Oh no, EverDrive. Right, you put it as a ROM on the yeah. SD card, and then you well, put it yeah, on there. But you, you can get a cartridge flasher. I think that same EverDrive company also sells their own flash kits. I bought one from AliExpress, which is. Seems to work just fine. Okay. But I think also Crix sells them. So either way, so it's, it's not too fancy. It's kind of like burning a CD. Like you put in a blank cartridge and you put go and it puts sure. it on. So. Um, yeah. How hard would it be to make this for, well, I guess I asked you, like, uh, what about future consoles? Like if you wanted to say, I want this to work for the Sega Saturn or maybe Sega. even like the Sega CD or the 32X. Uh, I've heard that I've heard that Saturn is a real pain in the bottom to program for. That's actually why the games are so crap for it, because like nobody wanted to code for it. So I think right. Saturn would be a nightmare. Uh, apart from ones after that, I'm not so sure. I've thought about doing a Game Boy Advance. I think there's like kind of like with this SGDK, like that system of writing Sega games in C. I think there's been some headway in a similar system for Game Boy Advance. So that would be pretty cool, like a Mikey Yali pocket game. There you go, but Mikey Yali Advance. Yeah, I, I I think it would be kind of fun to play around with some things like Unreal Engine. So I have a friend right now, play, like making his own indie game in Unreal Engine, and so you can use assets like STL models in there too. So just for fun, we we're playing around, wow. and he threw in he threw in the Mikey Eldy head as an STL asset in his game, and it's kind of like the thwomp, like the head is like boosh, like bashing down on things. So I sure. I, I think that idea is pretty appealing to me. So you that's know, great in, in Unreal Engine, throwing around those guys. Then, I mean, if you're using Unreal Engine, then you probably could get it on the Dreamcast. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Keep that second. Well, going. I guess you'd have to burn it to a GD. No, they, they've exploited that. What am I thinking? Um, okay. Um, let's see. Are, are there any interests? Are, are there any uh, like roadblocks that you hit in development, or is, is there any any kind of walls that you hit in making this that you almost had to throw the whole project away? Um, I don't. Wasn't well, not to the extent of throwing it away, but uh, when I was making the music, so the. Surprisingly, in Deflamask, or at least when I was in my experience, the some of the effects, like when you're sliding between notes and doing the vibrato, those were taking up a crazy amount of space. So at first, mm. I made my songs, and they were take they were like really tiny. There were tens of kilobytes, maybe. 
But then as I got better with Deflamask and I started throwing vibrato to make the instruments really sing and stick out, the songs were like four times as big. Wow. So yeah, so something like two thirds of the space of the songs were just some of those effects I was throwing on in Deflamask. So I think maybe if I had done some of the vibrato um, on the instrument level and with the patches, that could have prevented it, but I still was able to squeeze in enough to make it work. How Another much... you know, oh, no, no, funny setback on. I found late into development was one of the mazes in the 3D maze was actually, it wasn't even beatable. I found it like not long before I released it, so I had to patch that. Oh. Did you, how did you make the, the mazes? Did you like draw them out on paper and then you, you made the images to match or? Yeah, I, you know, I got some help from my brother on that because he's, he's really good at this stuff. So I designed the mazes in GIMP. So actually when you're using the mini map, you see, I don't know if you got the chance to try it in there, but there's a little, I think it's 48 by 48 pixels. And so I was drawing them out, you know, pixel art bit by bit on there and plotting them out. And so my brother wrote a tiny little bit of code there that would take that bitmap file and then spit out hexadecimal code, which tells the grid you know spits out a hexadecimal code that represents that grid and so then the code in c would read that hexadecimal code to interpret the maze wow so i would draw the maze and then there would actually be a program that just spits out the hexadecimal code from that picture i drew that's okay and you drew it in what just like uh, some like, bitmap program or just like in, in gimp yeah like i would just oh, okay. go to like 48 by 48 and then zoom way in so it looks like they're big blocks sure so gimp is really was really your your number one for yeah. the graphics, your number one tool. Oh, yeah. All right. Um, did you have to do a lot of memory management as, as you're not a programmer, but you do? You are programming in C? I should have done memory tool. management. Okay. I don't know how to do memory management. <laughs> so actually, when you, you know, when you're playing the maze game, one of the faults of the game is that it does the music slows down a bit if you're like running through the maze real fast. If you're in the maze uh, game and you're pressing up and down real quick and turning around, you notice the music is like slowing like way down because I, I, you know, so, something is going wrong there in the memory. Boom. Okay, yeah, memory, memory that is without my actually skill doing any of that. Yeah. You have reached the end of part one of this exciting interview. For the rest, catch us next week on another Power Request. This has been a Pneumonium production. The views and opinions expressed on Power Request do not necessarily reflect those of Pneumonium LLC or its subsidiaries. Theme music by Volpec. <laughs>